What's up? What's up? What's up? We're back at you. Another episode. This life ain't for everybody. Hope y'all are still enjoying the guest and all the topics we're covering. Thank you so much for the support. Thank you for supporting our partners and sponsors. Today's episode of the This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast, again, is brought to you by our friends at Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Please enjoy it responsibly. There's nothing more Americana than Jack Daniels. If y'all have never been to Lynchburg, do yourself a favor. Go there, take a tour of the facility, facility, the distillery, and live the Jack Daniels culture for a day or two if you can. If not, then you can enjoy it where you live. It's everywhere. There's a reason for that. It's the best ever made, in my opinion. Thank you, Jack Daniels, for supporting us. Today's episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our friends bone collector i don't know if there's a better brand in all of hunting when it comes to supporting and emphasizing the importance of a brotherhood and the stories and the memories and the overall culture of what it means to be an outdoorsman a hunter a fisher a conservationist a naturalist a provider and today we are joined humbled to be joined again by the man who started bone collector and you know who he is he's michael waddell how are you my brother look out chad all doing good man just Surviving the corona madness like everybody else. This Rona is driving everybody crazy, man. <laughs> has it cut into your turkey time? You know, yeah, it has. Um, it, it started off, it didn't, because um, obviously Georgia and Alabama has got great turkey hunting. And our season's coming early, but I'm tagged out. And so now I'm like stuck and only can guide, which is no problem, no problem. But, but, but it did cut into some trips and stuff, but we still been laying down a lot of turkeys and, and now I don't have any other thing to do, but to, you know, now get on social media and look at everybody else shooting turkeys. And so I'm pretty much have uh, exhausted what all I can shoot around here in these Southern States without leaving the States. <laughs> where, where were you, where were you scheduled to go outside of Alabama and Georgia? Um, I was going to Kentucky. I was going to Tennessee. Um, I was planning on going to Nebraska. And that, that got shut down. Both Kentucky and Nebraska, the whole state shut down non-residents. So definitely won't be going there. Um, there's still some, obviously, hopefully sometimes that maybe we can be rocking and rolling for later in the year when it comes to uh, maybe Wyoming, some other hunts. We just have to wait and see. But it's, man, complete insanity. So, yeah, it did cut down on a lot of trips. Also, Florida, I was going to Florida and I uh, didn't get to go there either. So, so have you – found sanctity in the in the downtime are you it seems to me like this kind of a deal besides the traveling wouldn't really cut into a normal day in the life of the waddell clan is that fair to say with the farming and the and the hunting and the in the business part of it y'all are pretty much used to being isolated down there in that part of georgia and just yeah. h- hanging to yourselves yeah it really hasn't yeah it has, hasn't much changed outside of some travel and i had some appearances and stuff that i was going to do that those shows got shut down but outside of that, no, man, it, it's actually been nice. It's come, it's kind of been business as usual. Um, obviously, uh, man, I, I got a pecan orchard out here. I've been busy working on that and fertilizing it, mowing, you know, uh, basically uh, spraying the, the trees. So a lot to do with that. I, I got kids, so that's been keeping me busy. Um, we've been doing a couple series um, of digital shows and then obviously our bone collector show. So we've been busy shooting that. And so really nothing much has changed outside of some hunts being canceled and, and, you know, having to redirect and refocus our efforts of what we're doing both in our TV shows and things like that to sticking around here versus traveling and going out of state. But for the most part, it, it's nothing has changed, man. We got a small team here at Bone Collector. So it wasn't like um, the whole office really changed dynamics because even though we've been working a lot from home, you know, we only have about six to eight people that really keep the ship you know, cruising down the, 
you know, through the ocean. So it's, it's, it hadn't been that crazy, man. I've enjoyed it, man. I've ate, I feel like, I feel like I've gained weight because Lord have mercy, even though I've been going out to eat, I have been cooking and my wife has been throwing down, putting that old country Southern cooking. I didn't, I've been eating. I've been eating and having fun, Me man. Too. It's like, like living on a little house on the prairie. <laughs> hey, get, before I was going to, you mentioned Alabama, I was going to go into something on that, but tell me real quick, as many turkeys as you've been a part of, you know, seeing uh-huh. them hit, hit the dirt. And obviously we've talked in, in, in depth about what it really means to be out there, but the, the, the keel and the, and the food part of it is very important to you and I. Is there only one way to eat wild turkey, or do you, or do you have several different recipes when in that part of Georgia? Is it mainly battering them up and, and and frying them in grease, or do you do other things with them as far as the breast meat goes? And what other parts do you eat the leg meat, and what do you do with most of the turkeys? It, it's funny, man. I did a video on breasting out a turkey spent a couple of years ago that's on YouTube, and and um, and I've never, I mainly have always just you know took the breast, but my grandmama now, both of my grandmamas, they they passed along and they all up there in, in glory now with, with Jesus. But uh, they always had me take the leg meat and they would boil them down. And I don't know what all they did. And they would make turkey pot pie out of it. Now I've since tried to take some of the leg meat and it was about like eating a freaking a Michelin tire. And so I haven't been one to collect and use the, the leg meat, but the breast you is freaking heavenly. And yes, there is more ways to cook a turkey than just frying it. But I will say it's my favorite. And, and and Lord have mercy, I just cut that thing up in little old nuggets. And man, I'm about figured out now. I, I put it in jalapeno pickle juice, or, or you know, like the pickled jalapenos. Pour that into those cut up breasts, and or just a good pickle juice, and leave it sitting there. And holy smokes, you talking about some fine eating? I let it sit at night, then I fry it up in about 350, and you know, batter it in some flour, maybe a little Tony Satchers or some kind of seasoning. And I, I'm telling you right now, it's, it's, it's as good as Chick-fil-A nuggets. And another good way I like to cook it is uh, cut it up in strips and beat it out with a hammer or, or, or a beer bottle or a Coke bottle. And I put a little cream cheese and onion, kind of like you do deer, and then uh, roll it and, and, and grill it. That way it's really good. And I even got a, a little old hooray grill that I, I do some rotisserie turkey on that's real good. So I got a bunch of different ways, but all is uh, around the breast meat. So I know somewhere somebody's out there probably listening is like, my God, why do you don't know how to cook them turkey legs? And, and so I'm open to recipes. If y'all can help me <laughs> figure out a way to cook a turkey leg, I'll eat the cornbread hell out of it. But the problem is I do shoot a lot of turkeys. And so uh, I, I just mainly go to that breast meat, just like a dove, you know, you snatch that dove, that, that breast, that breast out and get get to rocking. Oh uh, yeah. Hey, Waddell, what is what do you think the secret behind Tony's was of how it exploded? And the reason I ask is being out where I'm at in Nevada, um, it probably just got here maybe five years ago. Yeah. Sla- Slap your mom is another good one that originated yeah, down south. Yeah. It just made it out here in the last 18 months, tw- two years. What, what what do you think it is about Tony's that gave it that overall popularity with northern cooks, western cooks, southern cooks? Because like I find myself literally like I got a whole pantry full of rubs and spices and I always find my hand gravitating towards Tony's. Are you the same way? Oh, all the time. I think it's just simply, you know, some things, it's just the product is good. One is, uh, you know, everybody knows Cajuns. If they can't do nothing else, they can party and eat. And, um, and Tony, that's that brand that made you feel like a little Cajun vibe to it. And, but in reality, it's just a good all around, man. You can put it in grits. You can put it on anything, deer, fish, duck, elk, 
I mean, you can put it on an expensive ribeye if you want to dry rub. It's just good. So I think that's why it's to go to where there's a lot of good, you know, seasoning, but it might be more specifically good to one particular thing or really good on fish or really good on beef or whatever. But man, Tony Satchin just good on everything. And like I said, I know that, hey, they ain't paying me. You need one to say that, but it works, man. I think, and I think once you buy some, you're going to go buy some more if you use it. Yeah, it's crazy how much I, I mean, I'm nonstop with it. And then Slap Your Mama's got its place too. I've been taking, um, yes, I've been taking, uh, I don't, that we, we call them bluegill out here. You call them brim, right? Do you call bluegill brim in Georgia? I was talking with Brent Cobb last week and he said he just caught 35 brim in his mom's pond and he was getting them ready for the grease. And I was like, a brim. And so <clears throat> a brim is a bluegill. <clears throat> and, That's right. I assume that you take that you do. I do a lot of fish and I assume that you, you do also, are, are you a big kind of the same approach with all of your fish too, is the grease and the, in the batter and Tony's as well? Oh, hell yeah. We fry. Yeah. I fry about everything. And, um, and you're exactly right, man. I, um, I take, yeah. And they do down the South, they call them brim. Now it is a bluegill or it is a, uh, my dang old cat coming up in here. Get on out of here. Kid cat. Get yo, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, bang, uh, yeah, they call them brim, and then you know, of course, everything's a brim. You know, you got shell cracker, you got bluegill, uh, you got them old hybrids and them Georgia giants. A lot of people stock these ponds, but every fish that looks like a bluegill is a brim. And then, of course, you got the uh, we call them crappy. Some people call them crappie in South in Louisiana. They call them sockeye. I think it is. And some people call them perch, but um. So brim, brim is a big staple of our eating. And um, and believe it or not, I've been eating over this quarantine. I've eaten so much bass that it's crazy. Now, everybody thinks about throwing back a bass, but a lot of these ponds and stuff, you can find a lot of these people is growing these big trophy uh, fish in these ponds and little reservoirs that they want every fish took out there that's 14 inches and less. In some cases, 12 inches or less. And so I was telling my son, who's on a high school, on a college fishing scholarship, until I was – Working at Realtree into the mid 90s, I never threw back a bass. I ate every one we caught. So, in other words, it wasn't no catch and release. It was catch and release and throw the ass back into Lake Crisco. That's exactly <laughs> <laughs> what you did. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, we, we ate bass. And so I still like bass and, 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 um, and brim. And if they're big enough, you know, flay them out, but I'll still scale, scale a bass or, or bluegill and, uh, and, and man, I like a little flour and cornmeal, not a lot of bunch of season, just a little salt and pepper and, you know, fry them up on some peanut oil or some good vegetable oil. And I, I love it. A good fish fry is hard to beat, especially down here south. It's it's crazy uh, how when you go up to like the Wisconsin's and, and the Minnesotas and you see those Friday night fish fries and they got the walleyes going, I love to eat a good walleye. But oh, yes. Man, when you when you start talking about like, the North American white fish that I love to eat. Everybody wants halibut, but I'm talking fresh water here. Like a walleye is unbelievable. Then you mentioned crappie and crappie. Now up North, they call those perch, which a lot of Northerners that ha- mm-hmm. that fish those cold waters in North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, they'll, they'll argue with me that that's better than a walleye. And then, and then I will bring up a brim or a bluegill and say that when you do a fish fry, if you put those three together, you're going to have a really, really hard time deciphering between the three species of fish. And a lot of guys say that I'm nuts, but, and I, I, I truly think that they are, but if I take my favorite out of all three of them, it's mostly, I always go for a bluegill or a brim for like every single time. I don't know why yeah. as much as I love walleye, but 
man, bluegill is unbelievable. And then I, I've eaten bass probably five times in the last year because I was always on the same route. You watch all the Bassmasters, all of the FLW, all the Major League Fishing, they're always throwing it all back. So I think people get conditioned that you're not supposed to eat bass, but you, when you have a pond and you can get a good bass, they taste unbelievable. Oh, they're unbelievable. Like I said, I mean, sport fishing has been around for a while and you're right. Bassmasters now, Major League Fishing, FLW. And I'm all a big fan of it because obviously it's, it's helped pay for my boy's college, man. He, he's eat up with fishing. He'd rather fish than I think hunt. And he loves it. He's good at it. But for me, fishing was something and really even hunting, um, man, the, the, the trophy was the meat. And I know that's a little cliche. And a lot of times you see, you know, on, on Instagram and social media, everybody's talking about, oh, you know, best day of my life, elk elk fillets and stuff in reality yeah they're trying to kill a 360 inch elk and they're bow hunting and stuff and and there is a trophy aspect how big an animal is but truly the way i grew up fishing and hunting was fun because the end of that trophy was the the food for the table of that grocery shopping in the wild and so for me bass was exactly no different than a bluegill no different than a crappie and it's hard for people to wrap their mind about that, but the bass has been so marketed as this trophy fish, which it is. It's a cool game fish. But when I grew up in Booger Bottom, my papa would have a bucket of shiners and a cork, and we would go out and throw live shiners out. And I got pictures of me when I was a kid of a stranger of bass on those old metal strangers. I'm talking about being anywhere from two to five pound bass on there. None of them got thrown back. Every one of them went in the deep fryer and we ate them. And it was, uh, and my uncle and a lot of my older generation of uh, family members, they're still that way. I, I, even some ponds I got around here that I got leases on that's part of some hunting leases, you know, I'll say catch and lease. And if they go, I have to make sure I'm with them because they'll keep every bass to catch. It don't matter if it's a 10-pounder or a two-pounder. <laughs> and they, uh, there's a species of bass out west here that was that was introduced out here, but it's it's really prevalent like up in the Chesapeake Bay and that part of, uh-huh. of Maryland. Have you ever caught – have you ever eaten striper, striped bass? You, you know what? I, I – I we do have striped bass down here. I've never eaten one, and believe it or not, I've never even caught one. We have hybrids and we have stripers, which I think are two different ones. I, I'm not a big, you know, I don't know my fish, especially my sport fish, but but uh, we do have those fish down here, and um, they're in our lakes. Striper, and our striper sure. is striper is really good eating, really good. Is it really? I've never so eaten good. striper. All right, I got to ask you a couple questions. First off, I got to see an episode in the last two weeks of Alabama tornado and you guys taking the gentleman down there. Um, you talk about a touching episode and what hunting can really do to the soul and how the, th- the therapy that it provided that man. First off, unbelievable episode. Very well done. I know you have a lot to do with not just the on-screen stuff, but your whole team is there working to put these stories together. What you guys did for him in that community and to see the devastation that, that, you know, you're out here where I live and you see it on the news, but you never really know how devastating it is to the soul and the human, the human being, um, until you see it put into perspective, like y'all put it and to see the look on that man's face and the tears and to hear your voice, it, it, it was amazing to me that you could go from that devastation and then what that turkey hunt the next morning provided for that man. And even though it didn't bring back the lives that were lost, even though it didn't 
make you know make him never think about it again or make you and the other people in that area never think about it again just for that split hour of those turkeys running up that little country cut and to see your reaction and you high-fiving and the hugs yes an animal was sacrificed and a turkey was sacrificed to be to give that and that is what hunting is is that those animals are so taken care of of the of the of the of the species through NWTF and you're the national spokesperson for National Wild Turkey and to see it all come full circus or full circle Waddell of giving back to conservation and raising a better population of turkeys and then seeing a human life lost through mother nature and then mother nature letting uh, life you know human life feel like that mm-hmm. again isn't that an unbelievable way to think about it like what you painted that picture of what hunting really is of full circle sustainability of human lives were literally lost in the last 72 hours and now this turkey is giving up his life to make those humans feel like there is valid you know like there that there is life out there and that we can get through this together it was it was an amazing episode i dvr'd it i've watched it at least 10 times and that to me is what waddell and Munt and T-Bone and Bone Collector and the Brotherhood are so good at, and we are so lucky to have that. And I'm not saying that to go rah, rah, look at Michael, but that is an amazing thing to be able to do for America and show them that. So kudos to you, brother. Well, thank you, man. First of all, yeah, thank you for, for acknowledging that and seeing that because it is, it is kind of strange how in that particular episode, the first part of it is talking about Mother Nature. And you know, the environment of being outdoors and how these tornadoes rip through, in this case, Bessemer, Alabama. And I have a lot of friends only 20, 30 minutes from where I live in Georgia because I live right on Chattahoochee River. So my, my clock actually on auto even goes to Alabama time where I live. That's how close to Alabama I am. And so I got a lot of friends and, and brothers and sisters over there that feel like to me. And so to see that devastation, but it hitting around the same time as turkey season, which Alabama has great turkey hunting, and me going over there and hunting in this case with brother Rusty, who is, you know, kind of leading the charge in that Alabama um, shelter using their church and their congregation as to help facilitate supplies, help facilitate, you know, psychological situations and homeless and different things that had happened after those tornadoes turned through and see everything he was pouring and giving back. And along with the people in that church and that community rallying together, it was a chance. We had a chance to take him turkey hunting to give back and to give him, just a little bit of excitement. And so it is funny because I even see that a lot in this coronavirus. Um, it's so easy in tragedy and tough situations, whether it's a situation like these tornadoes or in this coronavirus, so many people, and the only frustration that I have sometimes in people's mentality is they latch on and let the Velcro stick only to the negativity and the doom and the gloom of a situation. Now, I haven't lost anybody personally, Corona. I didn't lose anybody personally in those tornadoes. So obviously that can flip that situation as to being mentally strong to get through those circumstances. However, if we focus on everything that we're afraid of, if we focus on everything that negative happens and we can't figure out a way to look towards something positive, then it becomes really desolate. It becomes very lonely, and that's where bad things can really happen. So I think it is up to good human beings to give back and to give those people something to look forward to. In this case, it was the vision of a beautiful spring morning coming into um, a situation where maybe we can get on a turkey and get one tagged. In that case, Brother Rusty did. 
in this coronavirus, it could be maybe the fear of all this going on and losing somebody, but just somebody else outside of their internal family, knowing that there's love for them and there's care and there's support. So I think in a situation like that, it's just those small tokens of positivity and that we will get over this together, that we will push through. And it is crazy how spiritual it becomes to where how Mother Nature and the good Lord can can give it and he can take it away. But it's such a balance of that. And so it's it's not about just clinging on to the negativity. It's acknowledging the negativity. It definitely seems to you, you have to respect what you fear, but you can't live in that fear and you can't dwell on what was taken. You have to look at what's available that is given to you. And so that was a small way. And I know that's pretty philosophical and that's pretty deep. No, but that's what hunting's done for I me. Love it, that's, what hunting, that's what hunting has done for me. I mean, in my darkest moments of life, going out to turkey hunt, going out to fish, and we're talking about, you know, eating, eating fish and eating turkey. All of it is something that gives back to us. So those are tiny things. It's not going to get you over immediately a death in the family. It's not going to get you over losing your home to a tornado, but you add those little elements to other little positive outcomes and solid friends and positivity in your life. Slowly, you start to crawl. Then you start to walk and then you're back running again. And then as soon as you're back in a good glide and you're running the marathon, it seems life and mother nature will give you something else. So life is full of challenges, but we can't focus on just the negativity and the tragedy. We have to focus on what's after this, what else is out there. And so for me, hunting has always brought me back down home to that positive, steady situation that helps me overcome obstacles, whether it's something like these tornadoes and having a chance to know friends and families that went through it. And maybe it's having a chance to bring them over here to Georgia. Um, it could be me frying them up some bluegill, you know, or frying them up some brim or crappy and give them a good camaraderie of a, of a, of a nice down-home meal that can help them start their process of healing. So thank you for acknowledging that. And that's really all we want to do is to acknowledge the power of Mother Nature and how you can go from on top of the world to the very bottom. But once you get to the bottom, how do you help somebody get back on top and, and, and at least start to see the positivity in life again? And so that was our effort, just to kind of show a, a complete picture of the strength of Mother Nature and also how it can give it and it can take it away in a matter of just moments. And I love how you've always had the ability to, you know, let a guy like me and, and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people watching around the country the 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 different feelings that you go through as a man or a woman in life the ups and the downs and then you can take a 22 and a half minute episode 28 minutes with commercials right you get 22 minutes to to let us feel the emotions and think about the emotions of first off the the whole deal about Bo Jackson being at the Squirrel Classic in Bessemer Alabama is where Bo Jackson Vincent Jackson was born 1962 he's my favorite athlete of all time and I know what he's doing yeah, for the you know the tragedies and and then to see you see hunting put you and Bo Jackson together for a picture and a selfie that kind of stuff is part of this emotional thing that I'm going into but you you roll up and you literally are looking at headstones of the in the memorial crosses of the people that just lost their lives and then you go on a high when you hear the gobble and then mm -hmm. you go into the anticipation of, are we going to get him? And then you go into the compassionate part of like, 
we did kill a turkey, but we we respect the resource and we are there for those turkeys at all at all at any given time throughout the year. Michael Waddell and the crew were there through NWTF and conservation efforts. And then you go right back into the of the consoling of human being on human being of saying, "Brother Rusty, this is for you. Thank you for what you're doing with your time and dedicated to the people that are going through all of these hardships." And so all of that roller coaster of feelings and expressions and all of the things that a human being goes through in life is being done right there in 22 minutes of a turkey hunt in Alabama with these country boys that are just down there doing what they do. And to me, that is so cool to be able to see that of, of the give back of what hunting provides. Rusty will never forget it. The community will never forget it. You'll never forget it. And the thing is, is that you get the ability to go do it again. And that's what you were put on earth to do is have this voice and this platform to be able to do that. And some people can look at it like, well, Waddell can kill as many turkeys as he wants. And that's not what it's about. With or without bone collector, you're killing turkeys this is just a way to show life and how important and how therapeutic the outdoors truly are and that's what i got out of it and every time i watch it i'm just like man to know what what is going on here is so much bigger than being a talented turkey hunter because there's a lot of people that can kill turkeys waddell there's a lot of people out there that have the ability you just you've been given this gift to show people like look what we can do through the outdoors and through conservation efforts and through hunting and yes, there is a dead animal and there are dead people over here, but look how hunting is helping heal that. It's a, it's just an amazing story, man. I think, I think if more people took the time to break it down and I know it's an entertainment value, but I got a huge life lesson out of that, out of that episode, man. I was like, that is what life is right there. Well, and like I said, I can't say thank you enough. And, and first of all, thank you for seeing that because that is what that was I wouldn't say orchestrated because you you can't even really orchestrate it. It's just, it is what it is. And there's a lot of ways to give back and there's a lot of ways to be able to show people what the outdoors is about. But I think it goes so deep. Like I said, I'm very philosophical and I know you are too, man. I think deep. I look at things, not just at the surface. I look past that a lot of times. And for me, that's what the outdoors is. And even, even I keep going back to that situation, which is a tragedy that mother nature unleashed uh, just this past Easter Sunday, we lost 26 people around the South. Last night, it's been like every Sunday night, we've had a crazy tornado outbreak. We had a, quite a few last night. None come through our area, but there were some in Louisiana and Alabama, Mississippi, and even some in Georgia. But um, I, as far as I've read so far, nobody lost their life or no major tragedy. But when it gets down to it, even this coronavirus, which is a mother nature, well, who knows? Hell, I don't know what's going on with this China deal. I don't know if they fabricate. I don't know what happened. But either way, it is a biological something that it gets into our deal. And, you know, it helps remind us that, that you really don't just die of old age. There's something going to kill you. It's going to be a tornado. It's going to be a heart attack. It's going to be corona, the flu. It's going to be a lot of different things. And so with that, I think what helps me is being a country person, growing up hunting and fishing in a rural lifestyle is I'm not arrogant about it, but I am. I thank God every day that I was born that way because what happens is you have a good balance of of life and death. You have a good balance of what to fear and how to respect it, but also how not to live in that fear. And I think what happens in society, we lose those grassroots and basics of rural outdoor living and being outside and depending on man and woman, depending on each other, human beings being able to depend on each other, not just for, who's got the best Wi-Fi to watch Netflix. I'm talking about who has a good resource in a garden, who has a good resource in hunting and who can help provide knowledge and to help build a structure. 
getting all the way back to the three little pigs to the where one built out of straw, one out of sticks, one out of bricks, you know, and trying to escape the big bad wolf. Well, we've had the biggest big bad wolf knocking on our doorsteps is Corona. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that can kill us. Something is going to kill us all. You know, we, we venture out in the turkey woods. You got Lyme disease. You got the flu. You got hundreds and hundreds of thousands. I, I don't want to be inaccurate, but I want to say it was nearly a million people a year die of heart disease. You, you had, I looked up the other day, I think there's 500 people a year that die falling off ladders. So in reality, you, you got to respect all these things that can kill you, but you can't live in that fear. And when you live outdoors and you accept that you're out there and you, you're learning how to live off the land, you really recognize what the good Lord gives us to, to use, but you also realize real quick what the good Lord that can do to take away. And you're not sheltered by any circumstance, one or the other. And I think sometimes if you barrel up and live in concrete and steel, and like some of those people experience in New York City, when you're in that apartment, you're living just on electrical situations and indoor plumbing, in which we all have. Thank God we even got it down here in Georgia. You start to think you're immune to any disaster because you lose that connection. You think you can take it upon your own hands to protect yourself. But you realize if you're an outdoorsman, if you're a rural living people, that you don't have control. And the number one thing that kills people, they think they have control. And Corona and national and these tragic natural disasters let you know we have no control and you have to surrender that. And when you surrender that you don't have that control, that becomes spiritual in itself. And it helps you realize, you know, the good Lord above and the story of Jesus and the whole nine yards and, and, and it all comes full circle. So therefore I'm definitely afraid of Corona. I'm definitely afraid of a tornado, but in the end, Good Lord, when, when it's time for Waddell to go, he's going to check me out. I'm just going to live responsibly, respect what I fear, but I'm going to live life and I'm going to do what I can do to give back while I'm on this earth. And I don't know if any of that made sense, but for me, that's the deep value of understanding the outdoors, understanding Mother Nature, understanding our renewable resources, whether it's a brim or crappy or, or bluegill or a turkey or deer or an elk or a duck. It comes full circle. and we're still not in control, but these things that the good Lord control, he's they given given to us to use as his renewable resource. But at any given time, he can unleash a fury that is unsurmountable, uncontrollable, and sometimes we can't escape. And so in those situations, it, it's up to us as human beings to help lift each other up and give us the strength to rebuild, to give us the mental capacity to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And so when you connect all the dots, there's not one thing that fixes all, but it's a multitude of a lot of different things and a lot of different emotions that help help everything kind of continue on its path for sure. Yeah, I think it'd be really cool study to see what the human brain or like what Michael Waddell's brain and your and your heart. I think it'd be a really cool biological scientific study to figure out what level and how many different emotions your mind goes through on an experience like that day or that 72 hour period when you were putting together an episode like that, or even when you're in New Mexico with the Indian reservation and know that, you know, where their history and their ancestors came from. And now you're sitting there learning their ways and then you're hunting their land. Or I could go back and, and, and relive a ton of different bone collector road trip episodes, but it'd be really interesting to me to be like, you know, Michael Waddell's mind is, is experiencing this Turkey charging him, but what is, what are you really thinking about 
while that turkey's running in. And I think what you just explained and when you did, when you made that remark or that comment, like, I don't know if that made any sense or not. It makes perfect sense. And I think that that's what that study would show. Waddell is like, this man is literally like a hunter. He, he has a skill set that is specific for this of being able to find a turkey, match, match his instincts with that turkey and bring that turkey in and, and completely reverse mother nature and bring that gobbler to the hen, which in mother nature, the gobbler brings the hen to him and look at how skilled he is. But during that, I don't even know if you're thinking about those skills or what you learned. You're thinking about what you just described of what that turkey's really doing and all these emotions that continuously go through your mind, your soul, your body. And that's what hunting is, is that people don't get that part. The pull of the trigger is just so minuscule to what really just happened to the body. It's an outer body experience. It's an inner mind experience. And to me, I get like goosebumps, no pun intended, thinking about that. And when I get to watch it unfold with you guys, I think that's why you you acquired the the fanship that you did throughout this country and other places in the world is because you're able to do that. And it's so much more difficult than it seems that people think to show that. And that's, that's what I would really like to know is like the Waddell level of emotion of what it does. And you just described it. That's what it does. Your kids were raised in it. You're thinking, man, my son's on a scholarship. This guy just lost friends in this tornado. But you know, all of this stuff is going through your mind. And at the same time, this turkey is charging you and closing the distance and you're sitting there going, brother Rusty, this is on you, brother Rusty, this is on, boom. And then all of a sudden you got to jump up and you're like, man, can y'all believe this just happened? And then it's a totally different set of emotions right there. So that, that's just, that's what hunting does to me. And I think, and I can tell it does it to you. And I think that in a way, that's why you and I have a connection because I see it in you and I live through it weekly to where TV's TV. I can get something out of TV, no matter if I'm watching a stand-up com- comic or a boxing match. But when I get a connection like that, that's a different form of TV to me. And that's a different form of life. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's kind of where I was going with that episode. All you just said is so, so amazingly true. And, and I think what happens so much of the time is people do over-evaluate. They over, overthink a situation. And and sometimes even when it comes to um, hunting, people try to put animals on this huge intellect with a human being. And, and so in reality, when you think about, and I keep going back to Corona, people freaking about this Corona because it takes away so much of their typical living. But in reality, if you think about it, in this case, there's a lot of human beings that are out there that are surviving. They're, they're trying not to get sick. They're trying to have enough food and toilet paper and they're trying to find enough happiness and not arguing with their wife and get along with their kids and all these, uh, nine yards of, I'm about to sneeze. Hold on. <laughs> but, um, they're trying to, <laughs> Lord have mercy. There was seven people on dollar general when I sneezed here, <laughs> but, um, <Bless> you. <laughs> but when it gets down to it, wildlife, the people that are so spiritually connected to wildlife, always make the best hunters and fishermen because they thinking at the same level of them. This wildlife ain't thinking like humans and humans can't think like wildlife. So we a lot of times think, Oh, this deer in Turkey, they did this, or this decoy, this, this duck saw my decoy and he, he, he was thinking this or that. When in reality, these ducks or these deer or these Turkey, they don't, their flood of emotions and intellect is not quite like us and how we think. They're not trying to build a high rise building and try to figure out how to get heat in the air and trying to figure out how to get Netflix on and, and to stream it fast or how to be on the next podcast. They're either hungry 
horny or trying to survive or cold or wet or whatever the emotions are. So they're trying to survive. So this situation that we've had in this biological warfare and this corona has helped people realize, quit worrying about all these things you can't control. Control the controllables. Try to get along with your wife. Try to, you know, put some structure. Maybe teach your kid how to ride a bike in this time. Maybe just slow down. Turn off your phone. Don't worry about it. You know what? In one way, the, the curse is also a blessing. You don't have to go to work. You don't have to worry about things as much as you used to. We will survive. You will figure out a way to get past it. Will things be catastrophic in some ways? Possibly. Whether it's a loss of income, there's a lot of things that can happen. But sometimes us humans forget that we can survive so many obstacles and you get weak-minded. But when you're thinking about a turkey, say, you know, at those same level, he's not sitting out here thinking like, oh, man, I bet Chad and Michael are at the farm this morning. And that's Chad. Yep. And I think that's Michael. They're not thinking that. They woke up thinking, I don't want to get beat up by the big boss gobbler. I sure would like to breed today. Man, I wouldn't mind getting a grasshopper out there. And outside of that, that's that's about it. And they don't even think that deep. <laughs> and so all we got to do is how do we manipulate this particular turkey who's trying to survive the elements to be selfish? They're not worried about the things that we worry about as humans. Just the other day, my wife shot a gobbler out of three three turkeys that come strutting in. Soon as she shot, the turkeys run off. They went over the ridge, and I got a trail camera of the other two, which were probably brothers. They're back strutting. They're not over there crying and mourning and calling their aunts and uncles. They, they're they like, good, man, one of our brothers just died, but more hens for us to breed. So they are so selfish and they're so one-minded that sometimes the way us humans think, we can overthink a hunting strategy, just like sometimes we can overthink this situation, a catastrophic situation we're in with this corona. Just chill out and relax. Figure out how to survive. Figure out how to find happiness. Get out that old pack of deer meat and brown up some sloppy joes and relax. Go out and throw you, you know, the ball with your kid. Just relax. Um, man, I have actually been hard to get a hope to because this has been the moment I've been waiting on, man. You know, I know I've missed a bunch of texts and calls from you. I've just been completely chilling, man. I've been cutting grass. I've been bass fishing. I've been brim fishing. We've been having fish fries. We've been, like I said, everybody around me would have tagged out in turkeys and, um, so in one way, this crazy time has turned into a blessing. So sometimes, like I said, I know I'm rambling, but philosophically, all this that is here in all these situations, both good and bad, are something to get our attention, to help reshape us and to refocus us. And so I think it's been easier for people like me and you who live in the country, who enjoy this culture, enjoy this lifestyle, to adjust or maybe better put, not miss a beat. But there's people in some cases that have grown up under concrete steel in those big cities that that social aspect that's been taken away has been completely mind boggling and so catastrophic. No different than when New York lost its power. You can survive without power. God didn't quit giving you breath or oxygen just because you don't have electricity and air condition. It's just sometimes it's all a mental game. And so I think sometimes the simpler we think, the more intelligent we become. And I think for me, that's how I become a good hunter because I don't overthink what a turkey's thinking. I don't overthink what a deer's thinking. At the end of the day, they're trying to survive. A duck, he's just, fly, he, he don't want to just up and fly from North Canada all the way down to Louisiana. He'd rather stay right there, but everything freezes up. But along the way, if he sees something that looks like a big old breed fest or a good something to eat on he just stops by he ain't thinking deep and trying to figure out if it's a mojo or if it's a banded decoy or 
or if it, is that real tree timber or mossy oak? He's just thinking, looks good to me. So we just got to figure out what that is that trips his trigger to get him land in our spread. And the rest is up to how good we can shoot after that. But he's not sitting there thinking like, well, I'm down here where I know this is where old Chad hunts and all them foul life guys hunting. Oh, my God, we're getting down here in, you know, Robertson country and duck commander. They're not thinking that way. They're just trying to survive. They got a routine. They have a very small uh, one-track mind when it comes to it. And at the end of the day, they're pretty selfish. And if you think about it, humans, we're way more compassionate um, than half of this wildlife out there. And sometimes these anti-hunters and PETA members just get it all out of whack. And obviously you have these ads that make a polar bear look like you can run up and hug it. And obviously <laughs> Walt Disney makes Bambi look like we're just the antichrist for going to, to hunt a deer. But in reality, humans give back so much more. We have emotion, we feel, and I'm not saying animals don't, but at the same time, we're not, we worry and have way more to be responsible for than this wildlife um, out there. And these, these wildlife, they're not worried about, you know, if they go breed every hen turkey, you know, in the flock and see their brothers get killed or they can send a spur deep inside their dad's head or the brother's head and kill him. They're not worried about showing up on Facebook. They don't care. They're not worried about it. You know, a big bear who ends up eating his own cubs to make this sow that he bred come back in heat so he can breed her again. He's not worried if there's an article comes out in U.S. Times that, you know, man, I ate my own cubs. He's just trying to get what he, he, he thinks he deserves and what he wants. So when you pair all these emotions and all these true things that are all part of Mother Nature, you start realizing that sometimes our control that we have within human nature Sometimes I think the good Lord has a way of saying, no, I'm going to show you you don't have control of this and to realize that uh, to help remind you. But unfortunately, some people can't be reminded and they don't catch on to some, the, the bigger picture of things and, and how it all pans out. And, and like I, think, I said, I know that's crazy. No, I think it's, I, I think sense, it's, but, you know, it makes sense to me as I think about all this is out there and all this nature, all these good times, all the bad times. And, and I really realize that even though, after the biggest storm, it seems like always the sun comes out and shines the next day. You either have to acknowledge that the sun's shining or you have to be stuck that the storm is still there. And, um, and so it's, it's, it's your attitude and how you go about it kind of helps you understand what the blessings and what the tragedies are. But in the end, if you breathe in air and you can still get up and you can still go, that, that's a blessing. Well, I, I, I could I could say a lot of things in response to what you just did. One thing that I, I will say out loud before I before I tell you this other deal is that so much I, there's the, all these ideas are going through my head when you're talking Waddell. And I, I mean, I am going to talk to you when you do have a free second about some things that spur, my, you know, spurred in, in our last conversation and this one. Um, but I also see something else in you when you start talking about the emotional part of it and what these animals are doing and what human beings are doing and how we cross paths and how we can give back and we, and how therapeutic hunting is. But I've also seen body reaction by you in the past, personally being in your presence and watching you in certain instances when hunters were 
what you described just now of how that turkey is greedy or not in it mm-hmm. for the right reasons and the compassion that we have for these animals there is a right way to do it when it comes to the ethical and the legal part of this and i would venture to say that if there was a camera on you 24 hours a day that you would treat animals and and the harvest the same way that you would if that camera wasn't on you or if it was if the law was looking at you or if the law isn't looking at you obviously you're in a lot bigger light a game warden would love to take michael waddell down so there, there, that gives you extra spunk not to ever do it. But I think that if there wasn't that want and desire, people need to look at you as a spokesperson that can really promote this lifestyle in the right light. And that, that, that the law and that that level of what we do needs to take a hold of what you say and really bring it in and, and engulf it and ingrain it inside of our minds. And where I'm going with that is that you do not respect when laws are broken and when hunters are giving other hunters in this very special culture and lifestyle a bad rap or a bad name or a black eye or even a slight bruise because all it takes is is one cut and then two come and then three come and then four come the next thing you know we're dying of a thousand cuts as my buddy scott mueller would say Mm -hmm. and i've seen your body language waddell of when you hear of this or witness it and see these reports that come out on hunters and you shake your head like why we're given this ability to do this and go match our skill set up and these we're putting these animals on such a high platform that you're going to tell me you're going to kill a 130 and then a 170 is going to walk out and you're going to forget about the 130 over here and lay this one down too like that makes no sense if you live by what you just said that thought would never come into a hunter's mind do do you agree with that 100 agree with that and and first of all desire a lot of times is what can make us do wrong so I would be sitting here and be lying if I said that I had never broke a game violation or I haven't been greedy or had that desire to cross that creek where that turkey's gobbling. And I know that my land stops at that point, but it's just my love and passion for the game. Um, but you get to a place to where you, you can't cheat it. You, you, you can't cheat it. So it, it's the same, any kind of desire. If you love cheesecake, if you love it, like, God, I just freaking love the taste of cheesecake. Well, yeah, every once in a while eating a piece of cheesecake ain't going to hurt somebody, but you can't sit every night and eat a cheesecake pie. You can't. You're going to get you, – it's going to end up hurting you. And that's the same. So you have to balance that desire. So if you love hunting like we do, whether it's duck, deer, elk, man, yeah, and you want a hot duck shoot or you want a good dove shoot, your limit's 12, say, on dove or 16, depending on what state it is, you have to know, stop. You got to stop. You got to have that self-discipline. No different if you're married. You can't run around on the next, you know, pretty girl that, that crosses your path. So there's a lot of little things in there. But when it gets down to it, you're exactly right. You have to respect and approach it from a standpoint of your desire is is around the hunt. It is a culture. And so what happens in the hunting industry sometimes, even what they do wrong, isn't just in their desire to shoot one more. It's the desire to shoot one more as how they feel like that will put them in a place in society as the way they're viewed as a hunter, thinking that that 170 inch deer made them better or above the person that's even becoming their fan. That to me is certainly a crazy, almost evil way that I think really hurts hunting more than just the old high school kid that ain't even videoing something that knows he's got to stop on two turkeys and maybe just screwed up and shot three. That's wrong, but he did it out of desire. Nobody knows it but him, and maybe he stopped it there and he said, I'm good. But if you're trying to kill that third turkey for a personal gain and a fan or to sell another game call 
or to try to make hopefully pull the wool over somebody to make them think that you're a little bit better because you got this one on video and didn't get the other one. That is really bad news. And and unfortunately, we've had some of that in our industry. And um, and you're right. You don't do that out of sincerity. You do that out of desire of something that is way bigger than just killing a turkey or killing a deer or an elk. That becomes something that is a void that you will never feel in just shooting one over or shooting two or shooting no or doing something illegal. That's something that's deeper than just being a bad hunter. That's something deeper in a, in my opinion, a, a flaw in that personality that needs some deep psychological uh, evaluation and help because they just have, they they can't stop their 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 drive and their desire to fit in into this society or a culture to where they can cling to and be respected. They they lose all our respect by trying to be respected. I think yeah, it's so so well said. And, I, and while you're talking, I'm thinking like this man that's saying this has built probably, arguably, and in my opinion, the the biggest hunting career out there as far as personality and voices and quote unquote celebrity TV guys, right? I've already told you that about what Michael Waddell is. He's a true rock star in this game. And you have built that. And I would and I would probably say that. 80% of whitetail hunters out there, maybe 50%, I don't know the number, but I, there's a lot of whitetail hunters out there that have killed a lot bigger deer than you have. And I know there's a lot yeah. of elk hunters out there that have killed way more bigger elk than you have. And I know there's a, a ton more mule deer hunters out here that have killed way bigger mule deer than you have. You've built this. My point is, is that you have built Bone Collector and the Brotherhood and the Michael Waddell mystique on being a hunter. On a 140 mm-hmm. is everything to me. I worked hard. I matched my skill sets just because he's got more bone on his head. Doesn't necessarily mean that it was a harder hunt or a more rewarding hunt. And I know how, I know you killed your biggest buck in Kansas and you documented it and you were very grateful and compassionate for that animal, but you have built a career on not being a trophy hunter. And that is, that's a big part of being real and being approachable and being, having that gravitational pull and having somebody live through you vicariously because it's not out of touch. So why in the hell would you ever shoot a 170 when he came out after your 140s already on the ground it makes yeah. no sense there's no there's no reason mm-hmm. to ever do it you have the finest sponsors the finest lifestyle you've drank the finest of drinks you've eaten the finest of meals you've been on the finest of red carpets off of 140s consistently and you don't yeah. hide that well here's a prime example of that there's no payday in this industry just because you shot the biggest matter of fact it doesn't matter other than to if it's you and it's your goal. It's not the goal for everybody who follows on social media, watches our TV show, whether it's myself, Nick or T-Bone, David Marsh, Bill Jordan, or Toxie Hayes, or Candy and Don Kiske. They don't care and don't have goals for them that they got to shoot 180-inch deer. Do they enjoy the entertainment value of seeing a good bow hunt, maybe almost called a 180, 90-inch buck? Sure, I do. I enjoy a good elk hunt, but a prime example of what you just said. So, I, I I have been so blessed that the the personal trophies I've shot to where I put a tape measure on those animals and they scored a lot, man, I killed a a huge Boone and Crockett antelope in Arizona on public ground. I ended up, my biggest elk was a 379 inch elk that I shot in the Gila national forest, bow hunting on public ground. I ended up, and not that public matters because I never marketed DIY or public or private. It don't matter. It's just, I had fun doing it. The payoff was personally, it was a cool victory for me but it wasn't necessarily a victory for the people that michael waddell killed a 378 hopefully it was entertainment value to it um the biggest mule deer i ever killed was like 204 inches so i've 
checked off on these lists. I have got huge, nice Pope and Young and Boone and Crockett animals in all these categories, but I never was even really chasing it. I was chasing the thrill and the fun and praying that maybe I could in this process, whether it's public or private, maybe I knocked off my PB. Maybe I knocked off a personal best. But in reality, the show goes on, the entertainment value, the passion, the sincerity, the legitimacy of that show and that hunt was just the same whether I killed a 260-inch bull with a bow or that 378-inch bull with a bow. And so in reality, people, once again, lose perspective on that. The personal trophies that you shoot are exactly that. They're personal. It does not matter to the public, in my opinion, outside of the fact it is nice seeing a 10-pound largemouth bass get caught. It is nice to see what it's like to see a true 400-inch bull in the wild coming up on a bugling bugling and get within 20 yards of a bow hunter and to see how they react. I'm not saying there's not entertainment value in it, but the world doesn't change for you or me or for anybody out there just because they shoot, you know, a large animal. Now, maybe you shoot a world record. There's enough attention around it where marketable you're showing the deer, but it's still not about the people, a person who shot it. It really is about the animal, not the person. And so you're attached to this animal that therefore gives you some recognition. So I think people miss it. If people just focus on the fun of the hunt, concentrate on applying some goals that they have, whether it is a big animal or it's just to fill a freezer, and just stick on that. But don't do it because you think it's going to impress somebody else. That's the problem. They're trying to impress somebody else when in reality those goals should be focused on what it does with themselves and to create something that gives them something to look forward to, not necessarily the viewer. That's just my opinion. No, I think it's a great opinion. And I think that if you look at it with that little guy that's sitting behind you, and by the way, very well <laughs> behaved. He does not move. He does not move. What's up, buddy? Look at him. He's just, a, he's farming. The I feeling know, that I the know. feeling that you get when he pulls a brim out of the pond is, is comparable to that elk bugling at nine yards. And that's, that's the emotions yeah. of a hunter is that you let that affect you the same way because you're in it for the right reasons. It's not going through the motions and be like, Hey, I'm just going to act like a dad today and let my little boy pull a thing right. out so I can get an Instagram picture. That is the wrong way to do that. And I've always had this weird feeling about me about last time we talked that we talked about, um, you me I mentioned the rock a little bit and I've always asked people like, why do people have to validate everything in everybody's eyes of it? Um, a, a country music singer the other night that him and his wife are making masks. I'm not going to say their names. It doesn't matter, but I think it's great that you're making masks, but does the whole world have to know that? Or just, can you send those yes. masks without, and then when the rock goes to St. Jude's, do you have to get a picture with the kids in their bed and then show that to the world? Is that real? Can that just be internal to you and just be very personal to where you can go and do something without the world, without it looking like it was a media piece or a promotional deal to, to elevate your brand more. And I know the rock's heart is in the right place and I'm not saying that he's not doing it, but does everything have to be so based on the amount of horn you kill, the number of inches, the amount of fish you catch, the biggest pile of geese, it's the, you know, smiles make or piles make smiles kind of attitude. And I look at it like, that kid behind you pulling out a brim is going to put the same expression through your heart and soul than that 390 bull will. And it's hard to get people to understand that or to get them to accept that answer when in reality, that mm -hmm. is the truth. So why, yeah. why does everything have to be 
I bet you you've experienced thousands of experiences through this quarantine that you haven't put on the bone collector Instagram because you don't oh, need Lord, it to yeah. drive. You don't need it to drive the brand. Something it's, it's just the nature of the beast. Some things have to go on there to keep the brand going. That's your livelihood. That's understandable. But isn't there any sanctity in just the experience anymore and to where it doesn't have to look like a raw, raw deal? I get it. I get it why you would put it up there. But I think that you're the kind of human being that experiences so much that you're just like, that's all I need, man. That brim coming out of the water, I don't need to ever go on another elk hunt. Really, that does it for me. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to tell you, man, if you really want to go deep, and it's funny, man, I know people listening or watching are like, holy cow, Chad and Michael are like, this is like a like a psychiatric or, or psychology 101, but but it is that way. And like I said, man, it, it's kind of like I saw a little quote the other day. My wife shared it with me. You know, a true love story. Um, and when you do something intimate, or you share these moments or whether it's a love letter or it is those, those very special times in a couple, they're not for anybody else. The value of that is to have between you and this person. And so it's not for the world to see. So the best love stories are for those in that story that they have just them too, not the world, same in hunting in the same in situations. But unfortunately I think we're in a time to where social acceptance, and I think society's always had a play on everybody's emotion. However, when you're doing things to share, to impress others, you take away the blessing of what it means to you. And what I mean by that, going to a good concert, man, whether it's a good Motley Crue concert or Brent Cobb, whoever it might be, now nobody even goes and attends the concert because they're not even there. They're looking at it through their phone, videoing it immediately so they can Snapchat it, immediately so they can share it. So I'm not saying that it isn't quality that you can share that experience with a friend or society to show, look how fun this concert is. But when you're obsessed with not even enjoying the value of this concert because you're more concerned about the value it has to making and showing that you're there, then it takes away and it robs the whole experience. The same applies for hunting that the day of just going out. Now, a lot of people listen is like, well, what what do you mean? You and Chad video everything to share, but I'm not trying to share to show you my personal best. I'm trying to share. And my true heart and soul is in the fact that look at the joy and fun that I truly get from it. You too go capture it, whether you video it or don't. I'm just videoing it because I want to sell the culture of what I love and mean so much to me. I still look forward to the day when I go hunting and there's no cameras and that moment is just between me and that animal or me and my son, me and you, if it's a good knocking down a bunch of geese and like, that's one of the best goose hunts ever. Who, who will remember it? Do we have anything or picture to share? No, but it's always right here. It's always right here in our heart and soul. That is what's being robbed of us. in a lot of times in social media in these situations. And it's also pushing people to do things that don't matter. And that is kill something illegal or to push them toward thinking that 180 inch deer is going to change their life. It, it, it ain't. I promise you. The biggest deer that I got on my wall that anybody listening is up there right now, dead as a bag of hammers, collecting dust. It means nothing. Maybe there's some Chinese man over there right now and grinded up and used some horns as aphrodisiac. Maybe you can make a knife handle out of it. There's nothing about it that's going to help you in life. Nothing. Maybe you can sell it to Longhorn Steakhouse and generate a little money because they're going to put it up here by this big moose they found at the yard sale. Outside of that, it's just a cool memory. Does it mean something to you? Should it mean something to you? Yes, it should. But is it going to change the way I look at you? No. 
Not a bit. I'm just going to say, wow, that was awesome. That's a big book, man. Congratulations. You know, if, he, if that guy turns around and says, well, dude, hey, man, I'll wear your bone clicker at and take a picture with him and, you know, pay me 10 grand. That means nothing. I'm like, well, what did you do by taking this trophy that helped sell more hunting licenses, that helped other people pursue not just to kill a deer like that, but to make people want to go hunting just to shoot their first doe? What fun did you have in doing it? And so that's that's what's that's what's missing, I think. And like I said, I know that's deep, but at the same time, for me, even though I'm saying all these things, there's still a lot of things in my life, like through this quarantine, I want to share my life with people because I think it's my job to share my experiences, the good and bad through our television shows, through digital platforms, through podcasts. But at the same time, there's a lot of things we got to keep to ourselves. We got to enjoy it with our family, with our kids, with our wives, with our friends that only us know about it. Because sometimes, unfortunately, people can ruin good things. I know that's pretty stern, but some things that are really beautiful, you can ruin by trying to let too many people in on it. And then therefore, if you get obsessed with that by sharing everything, then it can push you to doing things that you shouldn't be doing in the first place that robs the joy of why you even started it. And so, uh, well, I here's, think here, quarantine has it's, it's, a so, it's so amazing to hear you, to hear you say it, because I, I literally sit around thinking like this person is getting 1500 likes on a picture and that is like validation. And that's what social media has done to us is if we don't get there, what are we really saying about ourselves as a hunter? If we can't get 1500 likes on a picture and I'm like, okay, well, bone collector gets so many likes on this picture. And then when you go to a live show and you see the true effect that you have on people, that's what is admirable of the time that you'll take with a kid in a wheelchair that might not necessarily get to go on many more deer hunts or even having the ability to have that kid want to hear your story or to talk to you or shake your hand in the time that you give that kid is way more validation than 1500 likes. Because if I go to a, just an off brand Instagram account that is regurgitating guns and roses pictures from the eighties. And that's some account that's out of Brazil. They're getting 25,000 likes from all these guns and roses fans. And it's just the same analogy that you just had of that old buck on the wall. It ain't going to do anything for them in life. And that's the thing is no. like, what are you really in search of? What is the hunt really mean to you? What are you in the hunt for? Is it more sponsors? Because if you chase sponsors, you're going to die on the vine, man. You have, yeah. you have to let them see the true value of what you bring to the table and it's not a 290 inch buck it's truly not and when when you talk like that i often think about how many emotions we go through as a person just in a daily basis of this millions of hours of content that we have at our fingertips it's going to mess with you if you let it if you keep the little things in mind like the reason that you hunt is not to go and get it on. When you and I were on the bus that night with Brent Cobb, yeah, I took a 30-second video. You know why? Oh, because yeah, I yeah. knew I knew that I was going to be able to go back and help Brent spread the word about his music because I feel that his message needs to be heard by a lot of people. The rest of the time, you and I sat there in awe that we were, you've been with the finest yeah. of music. You were in awe that we were on that bus and so was I. I'm like, look at what's happening. And we shared it together. Yeah. And me and you'll talk That's about right. that for the next 20 years with Brent. Brent was so excited that you were on the bus. He grew up being a fan of you. So, the whole thing is that we very easily could have had our phones out and been like, rah, rah, look at us. But in the big scheme of us, the man upstairs, my mom, they don't give a flying rat's ass that we know Brent nope. Cobb 
The only nope. thing that matters about Brent Cobb, in my opinion, in the long run, besides my dear friendship with him, is that his words have the ability to have a conversation like this and to create conversing yes. like this. And that's all I get out of it. I don't care how many Grammys he wins. I don't care that he's best friends with Chris Stapleton. I would never go to Brent and go, hey, man, you need to get Chris Stapleton on my podcast. But I will go to Brent Cobb and go, man, I'd love to hear. I'd love to be in a songwriting room with you and just figure out your mind and how you come up with these words you're coming up with. Because to me, that is what means something is the Man that he is. It doesn't matter what he wins. And, and the thing about Brent Cobb is that he doesn't care that if he ever gets no, a Grammy. And that's what makes him special. That, and that's what makes that the host special. That's exactly right. And, and and something important that was touched on there is, is we're talking about what do you hold back? What do you do for acknowledgement? And what do you share? What do you keep personal? Well, that's a prime example. I do believe that, you know, it says in the Bible that that you know, Lord, and I'm the worst at quoting scriptures, but, you know, to, to those that much are given, much is expected. So I, I do think in design, if, if it's you in this waterfowl, waterfowl if, it, if it's me in Turkey, if it's Brent and songwriting, I do think there is a responsibility to the share these abilities, not necessarily in your ability to how to, man, I just shot the best. However, there is a place for that. There are people I look up to that consistently just can go to Iowa and even Georgia and they consistently shoot animals. And I'm like, wow, how are they figuring this out? I want to learn from them. I want to understand and pick their brain of how are you doing this? So obviously they come to my attention through a picture, through a video, through a seminar. So with Brent, he, he is sharing his heart and soul through this writing and his music. And man, it transcends, sends people. And, and I love that deepness of that. Just like Merle Haggard, Man, one of my favorite songs when Merle Haggard said, I wish I was down on some blue bayou of bamboo cane stuck in the sand. How deep is that? And what a blessed he was as a songwriter to just put you there. And he shared that. He could have held it back and just told his kids about the value of sitting with a bamboo cane. But he touched us by putting it and helping us relive that situation. So we all have the ability to share but what drives you to share it? that that's what we're talking about here. That's the conviction It's what drives you. And I know with me, I sincerely mean what drives me to share a good Turkey hunt. There is a challenge of tricking that animal. There is a challenge of trying to figure out a deer and a target buck and get them down and to share that. And there is tips and tactics, but in the end, I just want to share that emotion, that a passion, that sincerity, that legitimacy that comes with it. Not because I thought somebody, when they saw it, would make them more into maybe coming up and having me sign a hat at a show. I just want them to be hopefully motivated. You know, when I watch music, I've been, Lord have mercy of all things. I started looking at TikTok with my kids and even started a TikTok account. So Lord have mercy for it. I went from, <laughs> I guess I just lost my cool card altogether with that. But anyway, when it got down to it, man, I get where I'm looking at all these guitar players and they're, and they're just people that nobody knows. And I'm so entertained by their, you know, them ripping off some, playing some old Eddie Van Halen and playing the Motley Crue and Guns and Roses. And they're spot on playing Guns and Roses. I saw a girl the other day singing Heart and doing Barracuda, and it was every bit as good as when they first cut it in the 70s. And, and I'm so entertained by it. But at the end of the day, everything has its place. But there's just so much out there that sometimes gets misconstrued, and socially people push it to a place that it don't need to be. And I'll end with what I'm trying to say is 
you hear the word marketing a lot and you'll hear people say, and I've had people tell me this, like, what well, man, you did a good job of marketing yourself. And for some reason, I find that offensive when people tell me that, like you marketed yourself very well. I'm like, and I think back, I'm like, man, what did I, how did I ever market myself? Like I started working, you know, as an 18 year old kid guiding turkeys for Bill Jordan. And I tried to go through all the doors that was, that was open. Some that I had to nudge, some I kicked open, but most of those doors were open through hard work, legitimacy and sincerity and passion and ability. And so with that, I got to thinking like, did I really market myself or did by working my ass off and being legitimate in some of these things, did the market just find me? So there's a fine line in that to where I do believe that you got to do the right things. You got to keep yourself 100%. out there. You got, but, but I don't believe in truly marketing yourself. And I think that's what's wrong with the industry. These people are trying to market themselves as to what they think they want to be, not what truly what they are. It happens in country music. It happens in the hunting. It happens in every aspect. It doesn't happen in motocross because you either can go freaking ride a motocross bike or you can't. You're either Ricky Carmichael or you're not. You're either Kenny Bartram and can do the first backflip or you can't. Hunting, you can disguise it. You can market yourself. But I can tell you, I didn't market myself. I worked my butt off trying to do the right things out of my passion, sincerity, God-given ability, my learned talent through every year, every hunt, trying to better myself as a hunter as a person. And so therefore with that, the market, the the market somehow found me. And so that's that's what I really believe in. And that's so key in your success. And that's why you can take a lyric from Merle Haggard and dissect it that way, or a Brent Cobb shine, a shine on rainy day song and get out of it what he meant to get out of it. And if you go to his freaking show and if Merle Haggard was alive today and me and Michael Waddell or Michael Waddell and I, if you're a correct English major, sorry about that. (laughs) <laughs> if we went to his concert and we held up a four inch iPhone and recorded it, he would look down at us and kick the footlights out on top of our heads because he isn't up there for that. He wants us to get that lyric. Brent Cobb yes. wants us to get that lyric. Bone Collector wants us. And we started this about turkey recipes. And I wanted to revolve into the story about Brother Rusty in Alabama because Bone Collector delivers that lyric, that message, that compassion. It delivers the picture that we're supposed to look at and go, we can do that. That's at our grass. We can go hunt a turkey. We can give back to somebody by being a hunter and getting what is meant to get out of it. And it's not about the likes. It's not about the sponsors, because I'll tell you what, if you went and talked to any of our sponsors, they're not going to sit there and go, we, we pay Chad and the guys what we do because one, they're affordable Two, they go above. No, they're going to go, Hey, we know their stance. They're always there when we need them. We don't have to babysit them. Their work ethic is there. They over deliver and under promise and da, 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 da. It'll keep going. And it's the same with your partners. And if people just understood that when you go to that concert and you film Vince Neil and Nikki six and Mick Mars and Tommy Lee on their last of what has been like 35 final tours, you know, and now they're back. <laughs> yeah. They don't want you there to get them another video because that's not going to make Shout at the Devil or Livewire or Smoking in the Boys Room sell any more copies. I'm just simply saying that there is a reason and a majesty to being there in life and getting something out of it. Now, you said, you touched on it. In the business, yes, we do have to share some of that. And that's what we are put on earth to do. We have a platform to be able to do it. So if I can take a 15 or 20 or 30 second video of my friend Brent Cobb's song and I can get it out there to where I feel compassionately about it, because I could do that with any song on iTunes right now. 
I could record some of it and press out, hey, listen to this. I do it with the ones that hit me here. Like when you talk, it hits me here. When I watch Bone Collector, it hits me here. I don't want to go out there and just overgeneralize that every bit of music hits me like that. Every TV show hits me like that. Not even every one of your episodes have hit me like that. But the point is, is that yeah. it does, when you find that silver lining of what the song means, what the lyric means, the blue bayou and that cane in the sand, there is so much into that. It is not meant to just record and put down on Facebook. If you get it, you're marketing it for the right ways. Merle didn't need me to help him market his music. I was, I was behind the times with that. Brent Cobb doesn't need me to market his music. When it hits me that way and I can find some kind of validation in putting it out there, I'm simply saying, guys, hold on to what's here. It's right in front of us. He's not. No, it's not normal to hear this kind of stuff. Take yeah. out. It's not normal to see a TV show like that. Take more out of it than Waddell just killing another turkey. There was way more That's in right. that episode, just like there was way more in that Merle Haggard song. Don't do it for for just personal gain, man. There is a lot more into this, and what you are always talking about that our, our your ability and my ability to get out and say, hey, enjoy the hunt. Be a bounty, enjoy the bounty, go full circle with it, be a provider. I mean, you're growing almonds, you're eating almonds, you're farming, you're, you're sustaining all of this for wildlife, for your family, for many generations to come. Look at it like that. Don't look at it yeah. through a four. Don't look at Michael Waddell through a four inch screen on Instagram and be like, oh, I get him. I'm just going to like his picture because he's the best turkey hunter in the world or Michael Waddell just selling more real tree. That's not what it's about. And I, and I, I, I wish that you could get up and I, this is where I was going to go with this is I wish you could literally get up and Tony Robbins style a speech like that. And I truly feel that if you held a seminar series, a national place where you went to five or six cities and you did it not not on how to kill a turkey, but on why, and here's what what we just went over, the seats would be full and they would come out of there going, gosh, dang it, man. We got th- th- that. That's the right way to look at things. I'm so glad that I sat down there and looked at the reason why we're in the seats that we are. And there's a reason why Waddell keeps evolving with the times generation to generation, because the truth and the reality is still there. It's still being real. And the legitimacy is still there. You're not a fake. And I think that if people took that out of what the song is about or what the post is about or what the movie or the TV show is about, and it wasn't just about raw, raw, look at Michael Waddell calling another turkey, because there's a lot of people that don't have a bone collector brand or show that can call a turkey as good as you and you know that absolutely and that's the first part of it is that you've never tried to be the best even though you're a grand a a champion turkey caller you've never once showed that so it doesn't matter that's not what you're trying to get people to take out of it and that's not what brench brench's not trying to get a sold out show out of it he's trying to get the lyric out and your lyric and your songwriting is the ability to show what you did for Brother Rusty. So that's long-winded, but it comes full circle of what you're supposed to take out of this episode. And if you're just taking the kill of that turkey out of it, that's fine too. But don't judge Waddell just on his ability to kill a turkey. Look at what the silver lining of, of the story of what Bone Collector is doing for people all around the world. Well, like I said, for you to see that, man, I can't tell you what it means to me, but it is true. And And like you said, it's not that you're trying to Show people you're the best. You're just trying to be the best of who you are and let that heart and let that soul and that instinct and whatever legitimacy and whatever people might see as ability or talent, but just challenge yourself to say, if I am going to go turkey, I'm going to try to be the best and get the most unbelievable hunt that I can share with people. If you are going to write a song, if you're Brent Cobb, is to pour out what is in his heart and, and, and what you give, if you're waiting for just a pat on the back, you're always going to be disappointed. And I, and one thing I'll tell a story. So 
you know, we, we touched on a little bit, you know, in our first podcast, me and my mother passed away when I was 16. She got leukemia. Uh, it was man. So tragic when everything happened because my dad was the breadwinner. My mom was the backbone of the family. We had foster kids. We had all these things going on. Well, my mom got very sick. So during that time of sick, we had no insurance. And so basically my dad, we, we almost lost it all. We didn't have any money, didn't have a way to pay medical bills. My mom's basically dying. She ended up, she did um, pass away of, of the disease and it was just tough times. But one of the takeaways that I never forget in the world of giving back, people in the community knew that my dad was struggling. My dad had a successful construction business, but he was there taking care of my mom. He's at the hospital all the time. And these bills were crazy. I mean, we were blue collar. My dad, we didn't have insurance plans. My dad was self-employed. It wasn't like we had an employer or health benefits and stuff like that. It was just my mom was sick. She needed care. She's in the hospital. We'll figure out how to pay for it later. Later. And so in that process, there's a couple places in local community had a fish fry. I'll never forget, they had a big fish fry and they donated the proceeds to my dad to help pay medical bills, which he did. But one of the things that hit me that I saw my dad cry as hard as when mom passed away and um, I was 16 was we were in this restaurant called Dutch Trolley, which is our favorite little old local burger dive there in Manchester. And there was three gentlemen in there that we knew well that walked up to our table and said, you know, Edwin Michaels, man, I know y'all going through a tough time. Just we thinking about y'all love you and praying for you. And if we can help, we'd love to help y'all, you know, just, just a small town vibe, which we've all hopefully had a chance to experience that. So my dad had his truck out there parking back, uh, windows rolled down, tools in it. Nobody stole nothing. Nobody locked or automatic, you know, security block, locking the doors. Everything was rolled down. We walked out and in my dad's truck seat was cash money, $300 cash in an envelope, just sitting in an envelope. One of those three men that come up to that table just handed over. $300 out of their pocket. And, uh, and to this day, I almost get, I literally almost get choked up thinking about it. They didn't leave a note and said, Hey, this is from buttermilk Mitchell, or this is from Mr. Slaughter. It was just those three men, one of them left out of there and felt compelled to leave $300. Or all, or all three of them put a hundred in each. Maybe so. And to this day, I remember thinking, how special that was. But I'd also like to think that whoever did that, that glory and how they felt walking out of there, how they must have felt. They did that for us and they did that for something for themselves that they were in a place they could do it, whether it was all three of them, whether it was one of them. And I'm going to tell you something. If you if nobody's ever done that, there's been a couple of times in life I've had a chance to to do something similar to that, that no press or no nothing. And even talking about it, I guess is a little bit of press, but if you do it, you'll be overcome with joy. You'll be overcome with emotion. And I never get one time it was Christmas time. And, um, and I, and always in the back of my mind was that moment that somebody did that for my dad or my family or us. Um, and I remember my dad immediately said, who left this money? And he cried to the job site. My dad, who was just rough, man had tears and I was choked up the whole time. Just thinking how could, how nice that was that, that, that gratitude to give to us. And that just, selfless way of giving and i remember i was going through through uh 
Alabama one time, my little Mason at the time, he, he had asked for a dirt bike and I found this used dirt bike over in Alabama. So I was going to pick it up, this little KX Super Mini. I was going to pick it up and negotiate. He got my price. I'm going to pick it up. And I was just in the spirit, Christmas spirit, happy, man, listening to Christmas carols, fired up, man. I was home for the holiday. And I never got, I went to this little convenience store and um, there was a lady behind the counter. She was talking, it sounded like to her daughter. She said, well, I know he wants that. We ain't going to be able to afford that. And, she, and I just, I was eavesdropping and she was, you was on pump six. You know, she put it on, you was on six. I said, yes, ma'am. You know, 37.95 and, you know, got me a snack, whatever. Paid, you know, and then so at the end of it, I'm hearing her. So I paid for it for cash and I never get, because $300 of mine, I, I gave her $300 and I said, hey, I said, good Lord bless me. I said, use that to help get that gift. Immediately, she starts crying. Oh, my. And I walk out of the store and I got in my truck and I cried with joy all the way to where I got that motorcycle. And and uh, first time I ever told the story, even on this podcast, I told my wife about it. I it's wasn't a- it wasn't like I. It, and so it was unbelievable. So that kind of gets back to this whole thing about some of these things personal, even though I shared that story. No, nah, that's that not, that's, do, that's, that's you, man. It just, it's it just, you. it's just an emotion. And that gets me back to this whole thing. Like I said, you don't ever know where these podcasts are going to go and what you talk about, but I'm glad it went to this, this subject, just like the first one we did, it went to a cool <laughs> deep subject. And, and so this is the same deal. And so to this day, every once in a while, whether it's a tank of gas or something, I'll be honest, I get weight still, even though I feel like there's a part of selflessness to that selfishly, I still get so much more than that lady who maybe was able to buy this granddaughter, something or grandson. It, it, it is something that means so much to me that it is like a, a, a trophy elk to be able to do something like that. And I think it's just a self check every once in a while we can do stuff like that. And, um, but I learned that through people giving without marketing. They get the people that's so, that it's so freedom. perfectly said. It they is didn't so do it for a pat on the back. It's so perfect. That's exactly why I was asking is today's world. Somebody would have re- had their hand reached into Edwin's window with their other hand on their phone, taking a selfie of putting this money on that seat yep. and trying to get validation that way. When this quarantine first happened before they shut down everything, I, I experienced kind of the same thing. This old boy was in the gas station convenience store. He was just getting a carton of Marlboro's and he was getting a, he was getting couple Gatorades and a 12 pack of Miller light or Bud light or something. And this car didn't go through and he could tell he was kind of embarrassed. He ran out to his car. He says, I'm gonna go get another car. Well, in the meantime, I didn't have, I didn't want to deal with it. I gave her 50 bucks and I said, anything that's left over from this apply to his. Well, I get in there and I'm in my rear view waiting for traffic so I can get onto this road and turn left. And he comes running after me and I didn't even want to hear it. I didn't want him to, I didn't want him to think he had to say, thank you. I didn't want him to try to pay me back. I just said, you're, you're in a position to where you could use the help right now. And I just kept going because I knew that he wasn't going to go out in his car and bring $50 back to pay for his stuff. I just wanted to make sure that he that he was taken care of and that he didn't have to feel like he had to go put that stuff back. And the lady's like, this is really nice of you. Do you want me to tell him or do you want me to give him the chain? I go, just give him the change and I'll go on my way. And I never thought of it again until you told that story of, of, the, of the, the clerk at the counter. That is what the silver lining is, is the compassion is that we don't have to tell people about that. I didn't, I didn't even think about it for another minute. I helped the guy out and I know that if it's meant to be, it'll come back to me tenfold in the future. And that's not why I did it either. It's not a raw, raw deal to where you're like, man, if I kill this bigger buck, I'm going to get a lot more sponsors. You completely take what that deer walked out into that clover field for. He come out there Mm -hmm. for you to enjoy him, not for you to get another sponsor. It's so that if you think about it that way is that you don't, 
have to go to a children's hospital and take a picture with a kid that's going through hell and his parents are going through hell and validate. Now, if we tell the story and we document what Ronald McDonald House does on a national TV platform and we can get more people to reach into their pockets to bring more clean yeah. blankets and more brand new toys for these families that are going through hell, then that's what we were, like you said, that's our responsibility. And I take validation in that. But I have many experiences on that level that's not even shown on the TV show that I have so much out of and that will never be documented. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's where I wanted to go with it. And I didn't even plan on going down that rabbit hole today, but that episode and what brother, I guarantee you he's still looking at pictures and he still hopefully has some of that meat left. Probably not, but he, but that everything that that Turkey provided that morning meant so much more than just you being a good Turkey caller or him being a good shotgunner. It meant the world. And that's what I want people to get out of it is that Bone Collector's not here to show anybody that Michael Waddell is a professional hunter because you hate being called a pro hunter. It's here. Yeah, it's it. here to take it out of what you want and to get validation of this is why I'm a hunter. This is why I'm a conservation. This is why I'm a father. This is why I'm an uncle. That's why we're watching it. And that's what that episode does. It gives you the ability to be that guy that reaches into Edwin's window and give $300. That's that, that kind of success. That is what success is not winning another moose award or not getting another multi-million. Right. It's not, it doesn't matter to Michael Waddell. The little things are the silver lining, like pulling that brim out of the water with that kid sitting behind you that still hasn't moved. That is what I get out of it. And that episode is what opened my my eyes, man, bone collectors here to stay because they keep evolving and they keep being our, our filter to the world. That is what the world is out there doing. I'd have never known about that tornado if I didn't see that episode of bone collector. And if it's, if that's what I get to take out of it and I didn't get to see it on CNN or Fox news, bone collector was my funnel to the world. And that's what you're doing it for. That That's cool, man. And, and it means a lot that you saw that and, and saw it for what it was. Cause that's what it was. It's just, it's to share with people kind of the, the heartache as well as the silver lining of how do you move past tragedy sometimes. And I think that's where, you know, people get stumped, but man, this has been a fun, you know, podcast and just talking deep. <laughs> and like I said, it's, it's cool to talk. I know it's deep, but it is funny. And I, I think a lot of it, me and you have been so blessed just to take what we love and be able to, to make a living out of it. And so with me, I'm very convicted to tell the other side of that deep, raw heart and emotion that comes with it. And, um, and, and I don't want to, I don't say it out of insecurity, but I do want people to know me deeper, you know, both the good and, and the bad and the mistakes, as well as the, uh, you know, a lot of times people think it's all about sharing your success, but I think a lot of times, you know, sharing your failures helps shape you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for, for my failures, as crazy as it sounds, because that helps me better to be suited for the success that could come. And, and I think it's so deep when you start looking at all this and these shows and, and it all combined together. The world is very similar. We all have ability and talents. We all share. We all hold some things dear that are very private. And we, we share a lot of things, too. And so there's a there's a balance between all of that. But at the end of it, you know, there, there's so much to be thankful for, even even in the darkest times there's so much to be thankful for. And um, and I know I, I certainly am. And I've just been so blessed to have so many friends in this industry and people that I've met at these shows to have a chance to truly show one of the most perfect things. And that is hunting and fishing in the outdoors and the renewable resources that's out there and this God given right that we've all been given to take care of ourselves and defend ourselves and to use his resources to help get us through these tough times. Even when they might not be the best cut of ribeye steak, we could still go 
find a squirrel, a rabbit, a duck, or turkey, whatever it is. And so some of the best blessings are right in front of our face and we never see it. And so I do hope in this time of madness, uh, truly, hopefully the only pandemic we ever see in our lifetime. Like I said, none of us living on earth has ever seen anything like this. It's happened before, but you're talking what, 1912, 1860s when we had pandemics, and even then was a lot worse. Millions died. We've lost, what, around 40,000 people to date right now in the United States if that number isn't inflated. I'm not saying it is, but if that number is accurate, I mean, but I hope we never see anything like this again. And uh, But in, in this chaos, there's still a lot of silver lining to what I think is going to happen as it applies to America as it gets into our spirit, as it gets into what we see when we look outside and hear the wind blowing or a turkey gobble or a little old wood duck come whistling by. I mean, there, there's just so much out there. And so I hope people realize that my conviction is, is is knowing that I certainly know how blessed I've been and the support I've had along the way and kind of telling this story, the story of the outdoors and the story of the conservation, the story of the hunter, and really that guy that's simple, who just wants a little old garden, who wants to, you know, have a wife and a kid and a little pink house on the hill and some little grass to cut and a couple tomato plants out there to make a tomato sandwich with, you know, in the <laughs> summertime. That, that, that really is something to be celebrated. And that type of living is something that's simple, but oh my goodness, is it is it so rewarding. Well, man, I'm proud of your success. I'm proud of what Bone Collectors become, but more importantly, I'm proud of what how you are with your kids, your wife. I'm proud of how you are with the fans in the line. I'm proud of how you are with the Indian reservations and our Native Americans. I'm proud of how you were with Brother Rusty. I'm proud that we get the ability to turn that TV on one time a week and watch the the the, the world funneled down through you and Nick and T-Bone's eyes and to know how humbling it is, how humbled you guys are, how willing you guys are to give and how you guys never turn your back on anybody. You've, you've, you've lived a great life and it's because of vision and entrepreneurial spirit and hard work and work ethic and taking care of others. And all of that stuff can be set aside just for the silver lining of being able to treat people the right way and to do things the right way when the camera's not on, because you understand what it takes to that compassion because of what those three men did for Edwin that day in the little cafe there at your burger joint and when you were going through hell when mom passed away so i've been there i look up to you brother i appreciate you being here again i want to do it again we always figure out a way to get a little philosophical one day maybe we'll just do a fun one and learn how to cut up on a turkey (laughs) call which what what did you think of that mouth gobble on that diaphragm call dude i love it sorry i hadn't a chance to answer your challenge man that was awesome by far hey and by far no kids that was the best part of your calls i need to work with you on your hand column just like you need to work with me on but that that's why i did it that's, what, that's that was, why i did that, it you ended with your strongest call and that was that gobble you got to leave the so, best uh, in the judges minds man you got to let them judge something good you know you don't give it right. all away well, Michael Waddell, good on you, brother. Get back to the tractor. Tell the family hello. I'll holler at you, and uh, we'll get another one coming. I want to talk to you about some other things, and when the pandemic's over, we'll get together and have a cold beer and tell some stories. Sounds good, buddy. All my best, man. Y'all stay safe. You too, Michael. Tom, this has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Please hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be pulling off in a hole, riches Life on earth won't last too long So what you gonna do when the money's all gone